0: Hi, welcome to the Morning Talk Show. Today is my conversation with Esther Lightcap-Meek. Esther is a philosopher and a teacher of philosophy. She is professor emeritus of philosophy at Geneva College, um, and she holds a view of epistemology, which is the theory of knowledge, um, which uh, kind of stems from the work of Michael Polanyi um, and has been kind of alternately controversial and kind of ignored, but it seems extremely true to me. Um, Esther is such a warm and accessible person and has devoted her life to kind of, um, communicating this view of epistemology, which is very real and also very like it, it, as much as this sounds like a negative in the modernist way of thinking, it's a very encouraging way to look at knowledge. Um, so in this conversation, she encourages me to read her book, um, a little manual for knowing, which I have done since, and it is wonderful. Um, so we don't actually get to talk about that book, but I would recommend it. So I'm putting that in the intro. So anyway, without further ado, if you're interested in knowledge and what knowledge might be, and and uh, a view of knowledge that seems very human, um, then please watch this uh, interview with Esther Lightcap Meek. Thank you, Esther Meek uh welcome to morning talk show
1: thank you Thank you so much for having <laughs> me on i I'm glad to meet you and and start to have a conversation with uh, people that listen to you Lovely. that would
0: be that would be great and I can say from my from my youtube comments I, this is on YouTube and audio uh, my uh, the people who regularly listen are a really interesting and really nice group of people. You you hear about YouTube comments being this terrible cesspool, and I have had the opposite experience. I've literally had strangers wanting to discuss issues further and just wanting to drop a note saying they appreciated things. So anyway. Um,
1: well, that kind of goes with what you just told me before we started reporting, which is your your philosophy of conversation and that it, it's kind of transformative. And so your readers apparently get that and feel like they're caught up in it, and that's lovely.
0: I think they do. Um, yeah, so I what, I what I do at the beginning of, of every episode is um, I'm going to try to keep it brief because I really do get going sometimes, but I, I just briefly say um why i wanted to have you and then we can just be totally free form from from then on and um so you are you're someone that i've known about for a very long time or very long you predate the the podcast for me and so during a certain period of my life when i was very uh full of angst about a few things um, mostly related to my christian faith Um, i reached out to you because i I was pretty sure that i was on the way to atheism i wasn't there mostly because i just didn't have a desire to be an atheist Um, but i felt like that was the only thing keeping me from it like functionally i was like i don't know what's going on here and i was looking for um you know thinkers and, and that to help me and the idea of epistemology came up and I put epistemology in to YouTube because I was at work and I just wanted to listen to something and you came up and
1: <laughs> that's scary
0: <laughs> yeah well I mean you know
1: that's, that's so cool though I'm I, actually I, very honored that YouTube connects me with epistemology
0: yeah because I didn't write Christian epistemology and to be honest I was a little bit frustrated at how Christian you were <laughs> at the time uh because I you know you start no 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 it's good it's very good but you just you, you know how you have you you start a journey and you have you start to create a sense of narrative to what you're doing and the narrative the narrative was clearly for me that I have been failed by this Religion and this system and this faith and this God and please help me find my next path. Please, universe, help me find my next. Oh my! Step. Yeah. And uh, so, so. Oh, did
2: you write me?
0: I did. Yeah, I wrote you right away. Uh, very angsty too, um, and uh, and and. I hope so, I
1: replied. Oh, I would yes. feel terrible if I didn't reply.
0: No, you did. Yeah, you replied and said, thank you for sharing so, so honestly of yourself or something like that. I, I remember it better than a lot of things from that period of my life. And uh, um, so the, the 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 thing was for me that you, um, the way that you expressed um, what epistemology even is, what what knowing is. Um was different than I'd ever heard and made sense of reality in a way that I mean I just expected someone to explain to me what the general mainline consensus on epistemology is. I I got the opposite of that because I would say it's probably not the main line by any stretch. And uh ever since then it I've been what
1: it- you're doing when you know,
0: <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> um but i but since then i have kind of uh, been looking for other people to have a different view of epistemology other than this sort of rather two-dimensional one Um, i've even heard people describe the scientific method as epistemology um which uh, and and very kind of condescendingly so um my my first thing to do now that people have gotten through all this personal biography of me who probably aren't interested in that um is for you you to describe um i'm sure you have a bit of an elevator pitch of what epistemology is uh that you do all the time so yeah
1: (laughs) okay i'll try i i do have to interject what uh parker palmer said in a book i just read of his on um oh, an array of things, including aging. But he said, um, uh, somebody asked him for an elevator pitch and he said, I don't have one. I take the stairs. If you'd like to walk along with me, I'll talk with you. (laughs)
0: Uh, I like that.
1: I would say epistemology has to do with all our questions about how knowing happens. And uh, in philosophy, uh, you get to study those big questions. But whether you study them or not, you have them. So you, you are living out uh, some sort of supposition about how you know and some sort of supposition about what reality is and then about what is right and good and, and what it means to be human. Those are the big areas of philosophy. And so epistemology is not actually the study of anger management as some 18 year old said to me, but uh, it's, it's um, you know episteme has to do with knowing. So it's a study of knowing. Uh, and it's a little weird to talk about knowing as an item, as opposed to the what's that you know, but hmm. um, those were my 13-year-old questions. You know, I had a crisis as a child that that was a really a, an epistemic existential crisis, and that's what really got me going on, on this. At first, I thought it was sin. I didn't tell anybody, and then later, I, I learned that it was philosophy and that responses to my questions had shaped whole cultural epochs across the disciplines, which fired my imagination for the interdisciplinary. And then it took me a few years more to figure out that you could actually study philosophy in college. And once I figured that out, it took me 12 hours to change my course of life to do that.
2: Yeah. Um, So
1: I haven't looked back. That's- so did that your question was, what is epistemology? So I'd say it's about knowing, it's about how knowing works. One way you can say it is, how is it that we know anything at all? That's one way to ask it. Another way is to say, do we know anything at all? I, and I have to go on to say, in our modern era, we uh, have uh, put skepticism on the top side of the, the, the ball that we're balancing. And so we, we tend to be all shaped as skeptics. And that's due to our modernist milieu, which I think is a problem. And it's not the way it should be. And if you get back to, I had mentioned to you earlier, I've been talking about a metaphysics of childhood. Those things in, in our very, very earliest hours that, that we come to rest in, um, trust of the other that we encounter and delight in the things around us is what is the orientation that is natural to us. So skepticism is not a part of that.
2: Mm. Oh.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I like that you put in uh, children at the very end there because the, it, it's so great. I have a, I have a 10-month-old baby that you didn't see earlier. And uh, and so I've gone through this three times now. And uh, it is yeah you're you're right it's not you know skepticism is definitely a bolt on um thing and and it's good it's it's not bad i i would say skeptic i mean correct me, you may feel that all skepticism is bad i feel that you know i i have a pretty strong uh stream of skepticism within myself that um i'm lucky enough that it just runs across everything instead of being only towards certain people so that I'm skeptical of myself and then, but then, uh, you know, can, can move into, you know, some kind of self-forgiveness, skeptical of others. But yes, yeah, interesting. I like that. Um, what, what was so encouraging to me was your definition of what knowing is or what our knowledge is constituted of mm-hmm. and my my um read on that is um that uh that knowledge does actually uh is created through uh through patterns that it, uh, in reality subsidiaries that um that lead to the that that create a primary focus when we um kind of interact with them correctly i uh, i'm not gonna say it perfectly but that was what what got me do you have i guess yeah correct the way that i just said that
1: oh well thank you let me try uh so um, picking up on uh something i learned from the philosopher michael polanyi all-knowing has a from to subsidiary focal integrative structure which means Uh, it's like there's two levels of awareness. You're uh, attending from something to an attending to something. And that uh, takes the form of an integrative pattern. Um, Best examples to start with are um, uh, skills. So if you pick a skill that you're really good at, like driving or bike riding or you know, volleyball, or I mean, it applies to any sport or anything, but let's let's talk about bike riding. Another great one is reading. Um, uh, and you can remember back to uh, the point A before, <laughs> before you got going on this skill and you were looking at things that didn't add up. Um, you know, you look, if I were to try to read Chinese right now, and I would look at that beautiful, the beautiful, uh, uh, Characters, I would be looking at them, right? Uh, to learn to read is to learn to look from them to a farther pattern. And that's, that's, it's at that point that you say, Oh, I'm reading and this makes sense. Da, 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 da. So, in other words, in your struggle to make sense of things, there comes to be a shift so that what you used to be looking at you are now able to look from, to integrate to a farther pattern that does not in any way reduce to the things that you have come to indwell as clues to it. So from from and to, the the integrative pattern is irreducible to the clues. That means that knowing cannot be linear. There's gotta be some kind of a logical leap and, uh, and then in light of the integrative pattern, which happens in a moment of insight or over a, a time of slow growing into wisdom, it's from the point of view of that pattern that you can look back and make sense of things that didn't make sense at the time. Great biblical example is the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know? mm-hmm. and, and the, their uh, incredible frustration uh, on on the way, as you know, this crazy young rabbi shows up and doesn't seem to know <laughs> what's happened in, in Jerusalem over the weekend and why this is a problem and, and all of that, and then kind of calls them on the carpet about not <laughs> understanding the scriptures. I mean, it's like, what is going on here? But when their eyes are opened to the breaking of the bread, what they say later is, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the way? So there was something anticipative in their frustration, something Mm. their body was kind of out in front of them as far as as uh, putting it together. But it's Mm. when you have that aha of insight and your eyes are opened and you have leapt to the integrative pattern. Uh, that then that makes sense of everything that you were struggling to indwell subsidiarily. Let me just say something about that word subsidiary. Uh, so the the subsidiary level or subsidiary awareness, I tend to call it just the subsidiary because it can be stuff you're not aware of, but the point is that it's functioning subsidiarily uh, and it's integrated into this pattern. So if you keep, if you're able successfully to ride a bike, or surf or snowboard or, or whatever. It's that you are subsidiarily indwelling and relying on trusting yourself to your body, the board, the, the pattern, the situation, the normative guides, the words that you've heard. You're subsidiarily indwelling and entrusting yourself to that to open to the farther pattern and the possibilities beyond. So once you get it about bike riding, the world comes to you in possible bike pads.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The bike riding one is one that has really I've, I've taken on board um, as one of the one of the ways I think of this uh, through through your ideas. Um, can
1: I just say something else? I, I'm mm-hmm. perhaps anticipating where you're going, but people's problem with knowledge in The modern age is we take knowledge to be focal information that we need to be certain of. Well, if that's what knowledge is, nobody could ride a bike. It cannot be done. It can't be done. If you focus on the bike and collect information, you will not ride a bike if you're going to be a pro baseball player. Or a pro football player, you've got to get it about subsidiary focal integration, and then you see when we look at, you know, the the ideal of what we think knowledge is, and we, you know, we post the scientific method on the on the board, you know, on the on the bulletin board, you know, in the front of the room. We we that's actually myopic, that's actually blinding us to the real. So mm-hmm. for us to 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 be in a position to Open out to grasp the real. We need to have submitted ourselves to something <laughs> to to start to live life on its terms, to to entrust ourselves to the clues that we have to understand. And you know, you can't you can't argue with me out of the fact that that's how no one works. You just can't. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you would have to use it to deny it.
0: Yeah, I would never try. Um, so. <laughs> so many things i uh, i like there man just uh, almost too many to to know where to jump off but uh so the scientific method is often what is described as the ideal epistemology and um you're you're right that it's myopic it it is i mean the scientific method is 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 a miracle in in a lot of ways was that you know but it's uh it is an artificial construct and I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I that's just my initial uh, thought about it. It's an artificial construct which helps us to collect data, very specific data. But even, even the scientific uh, method requires this, uh, you know, forming a hypothesis. And I, I've, I've, I've read you talk about how, you know, you can't. How could you ever form a hypothesis, you know, without uh, this, this other way. Um, when so... I was a,
1: you know I was starting out as a chemistry major, I just thought I can't I can't possibly do the scientific method because I don't have what it takes to formulate tentative hypotheses. Mm. And you see that's the little uh, gap where the action happens mm. and and scientific method two-dimensionalizes and cuts out, it eclipses the very, dynamic that that polani called the unaccountable element in science without which no scientist can be a discoverer so right. he wrote personal knowledge basically to say look the scientific method is not it and if it were no scientific discovery could ever happen
0: yeah uh well i just love how uh it you know how real these issues were to you and i feel like um it's you can see how frustration i mean in your story and in my story certain types of frustration that don't go away can lead us to uh the you know the knowledge that's going to be the most impactful uh to our lives and and what i what i appreciate one of many things i appreciate about your view of epistemology is that the process is part of the knowing
1: uh
0: or that's you know um
1: it's a, it's the whole I define knowing as the struggle, you know, I'm not saying the joy is in the journey. I'm that's not stuff that I'm trying to say, but what I'm saying is you want to talk about not knowledge as pieces of information, but the act of coming to know. Hmm. And, and it actually can be an act of coming to know, even if you don't get all of it, right. (laughs) You know, you can get this, 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 uh, a scrabbling subsidiary struggling to make sense of life which is what we we're always trying to do and we can get a piece of it right you know and and uh ha- that can open possibilities even though maybe we haven't entirely got it right we can we can partially get it wrong absolutely it being Columbus Day I know we're not supposed to talk about anymore but Columbus thought he discovered it wasn't America he thought he discovered
0: <laughs> right yeah yeah you know that it was in India he knew
1: something. he was on something big <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> well yeah I I uh, um oh, I kind of lost my train of thought there but um I I oh yeah Are right you? the no no that's you. okay the the analogy that I like to use uh about our knowledge is like I don't like to. Say, I don't want to say that we can't know anything but um, i I notice with my children that sometimes they'll be wrong for a really clever reason and uh and you you kind of you know you want to you want to respect that and then but the thought occurs to me like how in how many ways am I like that uh is my knowledge like that i'm wrong for a novel reason that's leading me in a good way
1: yeah, and a, mistake, a clue yeah i mean that's we all know that yeah that, that. Uh, good, good mistake. There can be mistakes that really, actually, uh, ha- are pregnant with the the meaning toward which, the pattern to which toward which you're working. I've yeah. got a ch- and longing to know. So longing to know is my first book, and it's a book for people considering Christianity who have questions that have to do with knowing. And you know what I found was, uh, well, obviously. I had those questions, but what I've found is anybody that's considering Christianity has to wrestle with those things too. And so I, I don't think the book is out of date, (laughs) but, but I do have a chapter in there about mistakes. Mm. And I, I do have a chapter in there about doubt.
2: Mm. That
1: one's called, um, are you the one who was to come or should we look for someone else? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah. it's great. I mean, and I I do recommend the book, especially for people considering Christianity. Um, uh, I I kind of wanted to talk to you because um I I would like to see this idea of epistemology. Um, you know, I, I've got no uh, no issue with it leading people to Christianity, but I, I think it's a it's a kind of almost primordial like pre step for for some people. It definitely was for me. I mean, it was a long time after I. And I'm not crediting entirely your thoughts on epistemology, but it was a long time between discovering that and being even semi-comfortable calling myself a Christian, which uh, some people would say that I'm not one. uh, Some people would say that I am. But uh, the fascinating thing about it is that uh, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Oh, my goodness, my phone is ringing here. No. Um sorry I'm going to put this on airplane mode. Um that's never happened in an interview before. I it's this new computer is linked to my phone. Anyway, um so a couple of distinctions that I was wondering if you could um explain would be like th- this type of knowing overlaps for me with with the intuition and with faith. So and that was one of the things that I found so compelling about it was I like uh, like I like when concepts fudge together and are difficult to pry apart. And it made so much sense to me, but I was like, damn it, this is faith again. This is faith again. Am I back? Am I on the road back to this thing? So (laughs) what, how would you, how would you make the, uh, distinction between knowledge and intuition and or knowledge and faith?
1: Okay. Well, I probably would mush them all together. Uh, I would say all knowing has uh, components, essential components that can get called either one of those. So when I was studying Michael Polanyi, I went on to do my dissertation on his work, but I was trying to justify my Christianity to myself. Uh, When I, one of the things that he said that helped me was he defined commitment uh, and you're too young to remember when commitment was a bad existentialist word. <laughs>
2: but,
1: um, in any case, he defined commitment as our manner of disposing ourselves towards something. And so uh, I, in bike language, that's uh, entrusting yourself to that contraption. <laughs> and um, which took the word commitment, or I took it to be faith, as and, and made it very, very concrete, and that's how in Longing to Know, I keep talking about my auto mechanic, and there's faith all over that, so what, you know, there's all kinds of things in the act of coming to know that we Christians tend to designate as faith, commitment to, uh, to trust something that we have understand, you know, another is uh, the kind of resolve to hang on to something in the darkness, that's another thing. So John the Baptist story, you know, he has this great, oh, I see it moment, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he is imprisoned and facing his death. And that's when he asks, are you what the one who was to come? Or should we look for someone else? And so the resolve that he indwells, that probably carries him to his death, I would say counts as faith. And if you're, you know, a scientist on the track of a cure for cancer, there's going to be a lot of times when you're, you've are you got your teeth gritted and you've got your living out resolve, um, which just looks like, you know, some of those times of, of our Christian life. So I found that we Christians had our Christians speak and you know, Lord knows God could mean anything, faith could mean anything, you know, and so I was trying, and it mattered to me, this was how I was justifying my Christianity to myself, I needed to see that to be a Christian wasn't some goofy, idiotic, uh, unique way of trusting a book to tell you about something that you didn't see, I mean, that looked like, it looked so ridiculous to me. But what I wanted, I needed to see was that was actually an ordinary act of knowing. Not to say God is ordinary, but it, it's got the same same components of coming to know as does my knowing my auto mechanic. So that's faith. And then intuition, I would like to say, uh, that's a word that Polanyi used. And Polanyi was a, a premier scientific discoverer at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, that was, discovery was his job. And he was arguing, he kind of stepped away from science to save science from their own dumb epistemology and save culture while, while he was at it. Hmm. Um, because he really felt that this, that this bad epistemology was what was destroying his Europe. He was Hungarian Mm. and Jewish. Um, But uh, the trick is that he said for us to be a discoverer, which means you gotta, it's a little elitist, you gotta have some genius, right? And you also have to have a, a, a genius that you cultivate, right? Which is this kind of artful skill of guessing. And you can call that intuition. Another thing that you can call intuition—he distinguished between imagination and intuition—in uh, the scrabbling that you do toward uh, the pattern that you don't yet see, and so if you've got your eye on the prize, a la Rocky, and you—it's a half glimmering vision and you're subsidiarily scrabbling toward it, that subsidiary scrabbling, he calls creative imagination, but you always keep your eye on where you're going and he calls he calls that creative intuition. And you can actually have a sense that you're getting closer to the solution, right? And mm. all that is what he calls intuition. The other thing that I have so loved, I love this from the get-go when I figured this out about what Polanyi was saying about the subsidiary focal integration, is the subsidiaries are not uh, foolproof. You can have mistaken subsidiaries. And I would argue that all the prevailing uh, skewed idea of knowledge that we've inhaled in, in modern age is, is, some, is subsidiary falsehoods you know, mm-hmm. that we have bodily indwelled that we, ha- it's like, that's why I talk about epistemological therapy. We've got to, it's our body that needs to get over the Cartesian egocentric predicament. I don't know if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, if no, no, know. I do.
1: So, so uh, intuition would be uh, certainly some kind of trusting yourself to stuff that you have understand. And, and also, trusting yourself that you to things that you cannot put into words, and that's why Polanyi's account of how knowing actually works in discovery really helps helps restore us to ourselves and our knowing because we do that all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so it it's weird that something that sounds that is so consonant with my experience of life and with pretty much probably everyone everyone's experience of life, would also sound so heretical, uh, you know, because it's just not what we want to think our knowledge is. So, I, I've, uh, yeah, that's, hmm. and and it's also, knowledge is at such a basic level, such a low level, uh, not in a uh, qualitative way, but such a deep level that uh, it, it's actually kind of hard to talk about and this so so this is the second podcast episode I've done about it and you know the other one was I I really enjoyed it but it was like it was hard to find anybody who wanted to talk about it even uh so I guess yeah I I, it seems to me like the the modern epistemology where people really somehow believe that their their personal epistemology by which they um you know uh, by which they know how what's in their refrigerator and how to get to their job is it, they, they it's it's like scientific it's somehow like they haven't in, in eaten science and it's it's now in their mind and it's it's how their mind works and it it is a fiction um th- that 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 people that people have that that we actually think in this way but like so so you must get a lot of resistance um You must, or I I shouldn't say you must, I should just ask, do you get a lot of resistance or do you get people just thinking it's like a fringe way of thinking that doesn't even deserve?
1: Yeah. You know, uh, if I actually get to talk to you face face to face as I am, and I start talking to you about bike riding and making you find subsidiary focal integration in your bike riding, what I end up with is very excited people who feel utterly restored to themselves. So the argument doesn't come from there. Right. And I think perhaps you've put your finger on it, that what happens, what is more likely to happen is um, somebody would dismiss this as not being epistemology or right. something. So Michael Polanyi is not widely known even though it's incredible his genius is incredible and partly is he was a direct threat to the guild about epistemology and philosophy of science if anybody should be a philosopher of science it should be polani but he is not in the approved story at all and he was taken to be an eccentric right now i already look like an eccentric but you know, you you get in a room with me, and I start chattering at you about football, and uh, you know, you just might find it that you just have to think about well, how how does this happen? Because honestly, you know, if if the the reigning paradigm of knowledge of as information is the case, everybody is discredited. <laughs> and the f- football players above all and the artists i mean er- everything that's worth anything in life of your artful skills your blacksmithy your you know i don't know your crocheting whatever it is it just doesn't count as knowledge yeah. and and that's pretty and then you think about the poor <laughs> scientists are not even allowed to accredit the very genius that that is it, you know, if, if, you know, despite their scientific method, they're relying on that get them to the discovery. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a cry and shame. But I think what, ha- you know, and quite, here's, you know, when you kind of translate me over into, you know, church and Christianity and stuff, I don't go into pews and talk to people about doubt and certainty. You know, if I, you know, I go and smile sweetly and worship God, you know, but uh, (laughs) if somebody did raise the question, I'd say, well, let's talk about bike riding for a while. That's what I'd say. And, Mm. you know, the keep keeping your balance on a bike is utterly inarticulable. Right. Yes, you could write out a physics formula, but that's no help when it comes to figuring out how to do it. And keeping your balance on a bike is uh, something that is inarticulable, but it's palpable. You can get it wrong and you can train it. Hmm. That's the subsidiary. To me, that's like the prime example of the subsidiary. And that is not subjective, it's not mystical, it's ordinary, it's ordinary. And it's uh, yes, it's fantastic, but how is our Christianity different from that?
0: Yeah. In a way I feel like the the way you're describing knowing is fantastic because we've had this good long time of of just not feeling like the right tool for the job. Like uh you know, growing up, you know, just feeling like I don't know. I feel like I am a, a a person whose intuition has been straining at the leash for my whole life. And I was raised in a very uh conservative uh environment where um there was lots of philosophy. Uh not there wasn't lots of philosophy. There was just enough philosophy to dismiss uh philosophy and and, and you know I've come from a culture where um, I was told once in, in asking some questions, I was corrected once by a theology professor for using the term intuition, because that came from Eastern mysticism. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. He wasn't even my professor. And I told him he was being a jerk. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, he really was. But anyway, uh, I, I, I don't really know. I don't really know where I'm going with this, except just that I have a desire f- for this conversation to grow, that this this way of thinking to grow, and to um, to go beyond the people who are interested in philosophy, because that's one of the things that's a a, a, a pretty big divide, right? Because we're talking. I mean, we've well, been I talking. To
1: fix that, because oh, good. There's one thing you need to be philosophical. And that's to be born. Yeah. So but, philosophy needs to be unleashed to everybody. Yeah. That's my gig.
0: <laughs> Actually, you know, I just came up with a, uh, a weird analogy. So uh, uh, let me just go with it for a second. And it's from C.S. Lewis. So it probably will be something that you, I mean, you may be familiar um, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, when uh, Aslan talks to Lucy, do you, are you familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? Aslan talks to Lucy and tells her she's got to go wake everybody up who's sleeping. They've had a terrible day, and get them to follow her, uh, and say that it's because uh, he told he told them uh, that they can't see him,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that's how it feels. Oh man! Even as I say this, I feel like I'm I'm exposing some kind of savior complex that I have. But that's how it feels sometimes. In that I I. I sense that I would like to communicate these ideas to people who don't even want to know them, because I do think I know that I have suffered in, yeah. in my mind. In fact, like, and this is an unusual, I have to tease it out because I don't want to make it sound like mental illness, because I know people who have suffered mental illness, but my, my suffering was a, was a decades long Cloudiness, um, in that uh, I was supposed to be certain about certain things, and I was told it does not matter if you believe them yet they're right, and uh, you need to work it, work yourself to the point where you you are girding up this belief that's already there. You're, gir- you're girding a belief that's already there, and 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 I don't think that that I'm saying it in a non-religious way because I think that. It probably applies to plenty of people outside of of Christianity, uh, out, outside of religion. There's
1: something especially weird, sick, uh, modernist, inappropriately modernist about the infection in Protestant Christianity.
0: Oh, yes. Absolutely agree. It's, it's such a strange stew of conflicting thoughts and on the one hand you're you know it, it, there's always plausible deniability anytime i anytime you would say anytime i would say you know i feel i'm i'm hemmed in by this i would just be told no oh, no you didn't get it <laughs> you know, you didn't understand here's another here's a different way to phrase it and then still the the subsidiaries all of the patterns that were taking shape were, uh, in my mind were conflicting and creating deep enough intuitions, not that I was right and they were wrong, but that, that I just felt cloudy. I just felt really cloudy. And when I, when I talked to you first, it was, it was my to hell with it phase. Uh, and I, I, I felt like I was reaching down into a bag, a, a black velvet bag where my beliefs were. Uh, and all I could do is reach in with my hand. I couldn't see them. Uh, and I couldn't put anything into the bag. Uh, you know, I couldn't put anything in there. And I would reach down and try and, fi- and feel the shape of my own beliefs. You know, And I knew what they were supposed to be, but I was like, are they? You know, Are they yeah. there? Um, yeah. And
1: I knew what I was supposed to believe about God but what i didn't know was knowing
0: yeah which is you know and this is what i love about this is that a, a a light bulb coming a light bulb moment in knowing i mean who knows where it will take you um but it it feels like the beginning of a journey and i really can't under underestimate how important it was in the in the path that i that i took that i started to think about things in this way and obviously i'm not perfect at it but I would really like for people to to have that moment, and it it does feel somehow greatly affirming to who they are, and great swaths of of their personality and experience are now redeemed in a weird way, and it and it is, um, yeah, it does yeah, have yeah. a very sorry. You're restored to yourself,
1: <laughs> you're restored to yourself. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, the thing is when you teach. When you show up and you want to talk about epistemology you have to there's a whole bunch of i don't know qualification you have to do and but one thing i've learned to say is don't be afraid of the word because what we're actually going to do today by the end of the day you're going to be saying oh this is what i've been doing all along yeah right so in yeah. other words it should bring you not into some you know, abstruse, abstract region of cerebral pontification. You know, it's it's it it's going to restore. You're going to be better at bike riding and your golf game because of this
2: talk. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Let's talk about your bottom line. So, you know, I I I have a lifetime of experience uh, trying to uh, get people on board with philosophy. I also want to say to you in what you're expressing here, Aaron, you know, your desire to do this. Uh, I, what, what works best for me <laughs> in helping others takes reading a thousand pages that I've written in over a 14 week course. Uh, now, I can do a talk in an hour, like we're doing now, but it's, it can be better if you read the book, and it can yeah. be better if you read the book and I show up. And right. it's not anything magical about me, except I can blah, 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 and make you a right. point. What I do is I kind of help people lay the accents differently in their experience so they can pick out the pattern of how knowing actually works. So, I mean, it's a whole lot easier to explain subsidiary focal integration when I'm talking to you than it is to write a chapter or a, right. bo- a book about it, you know, right. but what, I'm, so I'm, I'm just saying epistemological therapy can, can take some, can take some time. And so, yeah. you know, one thing you, you know, yeah. if you and I were to, to strategize, you know, it could be that we might devise some book clubs. You know, so so we might read. You know, longing to know is. I mean, if it's I'm a one trick pony. If it's about if it's my book, it's about knowing in some way or other. And mm-hmm. you have to figure out what works for you. But one is a little manual for knowing. One is longing to know. Those are I think are the best entrees. And but loving to know the big fat one, that's maybe the the toughest read but oh my gosh the riches in there that i've found in other people and been able to present is just unbelievable i think little manual just skims the cream off of that Mm. but but i guess what i'm saying is uh it it takes um a willingness on the part of your conversant to listen for a long time to just to get on board with what I'm saying. And I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm too old uh, to be interested in kind of laying out the whole history of epistemology and da 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 da. I'm, I'm just, that's not my, my whatever. You're going to need to go elsewhere for that. But I want to talk to you about how you know. And I want to talk to you about your heart philosophical orientation and how to restore that to affirmation and delight in the world
0: so well i i really appreciate that and that spirit really comes through and i think it's it's probably another um offshoot of you know the positive side of of a a religious or a a, a, you know a a faith-based mindset in, in that it's not i mean i i definitely acknowledge that you have the full academic uh you know uh you know you're academically sound you you have the credentials that's the word i'm looking for um and and yet i appreciate that you're doing this on you know this what you're doing on more of a personal level your writing style is much more personal anecdotal because oh. it is because it is something that i mean it's not served well right but in in academia you know yeah. someone would someone would have to do a lot of uh uh, of their own work to take it from an academic context, you know, during some kind of audit of all of the, all of the various ways that epistemology is is done. So that that's something I really appreciate, and and really it is kind of inherently, in my view, it's inherently spiritual um, to discuss uh, the things that are in our 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 black bag of our mind, the things that are beyond our ability to express in words. And, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know if I even use the word spiritual correctly, but anytime we're talking about kind of connecting with ourselves and others in a felt way, it it seems like there is a a certain element of, of spirituality there. Does that kind of resonate with you or how would you describe spirituality in all of this?
1: Well, that's a good question. Well, I guess I have a question. Would you connect your use of spirituality with what you said to me before the podcast about conversations being live and
0: oh, yeah, I, I about- think of conversations as extremely spiritual, and in fact, the the uh, com- this podcast is like I, I probably will never write a book. Um, and I probably, you know and, and I, I I have a, a actually a bit of a hard time with reading printed material. So even reading a uh, hundred books is is very intimidating uh, for me. So this is kind of this is kind of one way that I try to even model some of this or even just model the way of of model the desire for it even. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. yeah, I do so think it's all spiritual. You,
1: are you using spiritual to mean? uh something more's going on than the the physical items presenting that, that there's just more going on is that how you're using the word spiritual
0: I, I i think it is i think there is i think it's i think of it as spiritual because I'm looking at parts of myself that seem to have uh, myself and others that seem to have uh, the, a ta- some of their own autonomy or some of their own um their own will or their own activity within myself cuz a life
1: of their own a life of their own
0: exactly yeah this this whole the the whole period of time when i first discovered your stuff that was all the beginning of being like uh, realizing that i'm i'm quite an undiscovered country in myself. And then that other people are quite an undiscovered country and that actually approaching them as an undiscovered country is, is a transformative thing for, for them as well. And meaning there are wild places there, you know, there are, um, yeah, there, there are things we don't know. And, and when, when you ask someone, I don't know. You you can you you know anyway, whatever. I'm going to I'm going too far into this, but it is spiritual t- to me when when we look I like at the word the mystery. Time. Yeah. 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 Mystery, well, mystical.
1: let me just tell you what uh uh here this maybe is related to it. Um when I first read Michael Polanyi. Uh, re- I remember, I was the baby skeptic, you know, how do I know 13. that God exists, and how do I know that you exist outside my mind? I know, uh, presumably, I I just presumed I was certain of the ideas in my head, and that, therefore, they were blocking a- a- my proof of anything else beyond me, you know, so I, I was a wreck. Well, Polani, the discoverer, all, you know, smattered through his writings, he would say, you know, you've made contact with reality when you have a sense of the possibility of indeterminate future manifestations, Hmm. which I call the IFM effect. (laughs) Indeterminate Indeterminate future. future manifestations. So It's a sense, it's unspecifiable, you cannot articulate it, but you've got this sense sense of future prospects. Uh, You know, he would talk about an inexhaustive range of future, that's how you know you've made contact with reality. Well, he's the only person in my study anywhere that ever told me how I know I made contact with reality. (laughs) Yeah. I, that was like water in a desert and so I have fallen in love with future possibilities, with, with the sense of the more. And yeah. I, it might be that this resonates with what you were saying about, about spirituality, that there's a sense that, that there's a, a greater reality that's beyond what you have been able to uh, identify, and you feel that it's in play.
0: Yeah. That's very it's it's very real to me and and I've heard you say that quote Polanyin saying that and uh, yeah it it is the most for me it's the most confirming and amazing feeling I, I see it I see them as kind of shapes almost I I always picture a cloud um, at the edge of my uh, at the edge of my knowledge where. I, I sometimes feel that I'm in the, the flow of something and, and you know, it's, it's, it's random. Uh, it's, I mean, it's actually, I'm sure it's the opposite of random, but it feels like it doesn't happen at a specific time of life. It's not, for me, it's not when I meditate or whatever. It's just a thought will start and it will, you know, it will call me forward, you know, tree by tree, like it will uh it, it 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 kind of beckons and there is this sense of these of these big things out there that i can uh, yeah and sometimes i can maybe pull one of them into language and sometimes i can't but it, it, it's such a great feeling and it it's it's interesting that that would be considered contact with the real because for many people it would be considered literally nothing <laughs>
1: exactly now if i may go on a little bit farther you may uh I, I believe that's that's God. And, and what I and here what I want to say is so w- w- what it is is your sense of the larger real. Now, what is the real? Okay, here's my my you know street definition of the real. It's reality is God in his stuff. Mm. <clears throat> right? It's all is let there be's, right so so re- the real is all the stuff and God, and mm. it's all his stuff, you know, I take that, I take that from the Bible, and so I think that that's the real that I'm pursuing, right, and I'm, you know, I've talked in lo- Loving to Know about uh, our relatedness with the yet-to-be-known being, needing to be like a an interpersonal uh, dance mm-hmm. of overture and response, and I've talked about inviting The person like real. Well, now I'm saying the real invites first. Mm. It's after you, it's after you. Mm. And it's longing to draw you out into communion. I think we're what we're meant to be is to be lovers of the real. Mm. That includes God and his stuff.
0: Mm. What I like about that definition of God is that it puts God it, it makes God less of an object. And you're not you're not saying that that you know God to any kind of absolute certainty, and maybe maybe you personally go beyond that and and do say that. I I don't know. I get the feeling that you allow there to be some mystery still. In, in...
1: well, I, what I would say, let's let's assume for the sake of argument that you have the Bible memorized. <laughs> How much do you really know about God? Right. <laughs> I, I mean have we got them in a box I don't think so yeah you know, I, honestly all of our ordinary language not to mention our literary language not to mention biblical language is pregnant it's pregnant with a three-dimensional richness that's always beyond the words themselves our words are pregnant yeah and and, and so the Lord is my shepherd, you know, Psalm 23. You can immerse yourself in that every day of your life. And there's newness and possibilities every day.
0: Yeah, well, I and, and really, honestly, the Bible has come alive for me in, uh, I don't, I never really thought of it necessarily as being related to this sort of trying to, in, trying to, Think about this new epistemology or not new epistemology, but new to me epistemology. But yeah, um, and uh, the Bible and then all kinds of uh, of uh, stories uh, kind of come alive as well. And I think that the, I like that your definition of God is not uh, this crystallized, perfectly known thing. I like that God calls from outside, um, and I do think that for anybody like listening to this who is attracted to this way of thinking there is an inherent danger to it in a way because it does uh you know not a danger i mean it feels like a totally worthwhile danger but it is a it is a danger because you don't know what's you know when that folk when it when things come into focus uh from the the deepest reaches you you're not telling them what they must be or what or, or what they are, you know, like, uh, uh, you're, you're looking for what they are through, through clue. Yeah. I don't know if that makes well,
1: sense. Th- maybe this helps too. This, we haven't talked about this, but it's in longing to know and in loving to know too. And that is the role of authoritative guides in knowing. And, and, um, you know, if you think about, uh, I don't know, a figure skater and, and the, the, the coaches language that shapes what the figure skater does with their body you know that that kind of thing that's that's a, an authoritative guide and um uh the authoritative guides uh, uh, and their maximic language is part of the clues that we rely on to invite the real okay and so i see the bible as that maximic authoritative language that is actually meant to be subsidiary, not focal. What's supposed to be focal is my love of God.
0: Mm. And,
1: and so I come to subsidiarily and dwell the scriptures. I read the Psalms every morning and, and they, they, they form me in this orientation to the Lord. That's a face-to-face sort of a thing. Right. And, and so, so it, authoritative guides are not giving absolute information, but they're giving maximic guidance that you can subsidiarily indwell um, that then help to help you to see what is there. So authoritative guides teach us to see what is there, like a a radiologist would train somebody to read an x-ray it's it's to see what's already there mm-hmm. but we have to be trained by an authoritative guide to see it and the other thing i would say too is i, I my account of truth is to say that all truth is professional meaning we profess it it's credo so when i if you're going to ask me you know uh what i think of god i'd probably recite the apostle's creed you know, or the Nicene Creed, but I'm, that's something that I profess here. I stand. I cannot do otherwise. It's my responsible commitment, uh, that, that somehow is all my responsibility, but it's my submission that I cannot, I cannot resist, Mm. but I, the, the credo, just like the Bible, it, it, it's, it, in a way it's, it's again, pregnant, I mean, what the, what the creeds are, what you don't want to say about God,
2: you know what I'm saying?
1: But it just, when you say, I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. I mean, you've got enough to chew on there for eternity. (laughs) I can't get over the maker of heaven and earth business. Uh, But it's, Pregnant with mystery, but it's not what it isn't. It's subjectivist. It's be, it's pregnant with mystery because it's a richer reality than you can get your head around. Not anything wrong with you. What this is is the richness, the three dimensionality, the inexhaustive depth and possibilities of a world made by God. It's going to be like this, and you mm. it, you get a splash in it. You get to splash in exuberance in this. And it also helps you be ironic, or peaceable, when you might not feel yourself to be exactly on the same page with your neighbor.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's <laughs> it's all good stuff. And yeah, like like there is a, there is a submission, a submissive element, or a uh, submissive or a um, there's an active submission to the real involved in in epistemology in the way that you're talking about, and and that and that can explode up into submission to God and to to the real. And you know, I, I think that the word God is very loaded, uh, and the word submission is very loaded. Um, but at the same time, uh, when we when we relax into these things, there is. Is such a great relief. And I feel like sub- submission is something that you, you know, that is, is missing, I think. Yep. Yep. Uh, here's
1: what, and here's what submission looks like for me you want your rose bush to grow, <laughs> you better find out how to fertilize it, how to water it, and how to clip it, and when to clip it. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. submission to the real. Mm. And If you do that that rose bush will make you a very happy camper
0: yep and then you get you know people uh there's a certain amount of beating nature into submission uh you know with things like big monocrop farms and that kind of thing that uh, aren't part of they're not maybe submitting to the to the to the larger ecosystem and that's a whole other thing but you know with this with this type of knowing you you know that there's always uh there's always the chance for your knowledge to be to be redeemed as new information comes forward. Um, and-
1: it's, it's an intrinsically humble <clears throat> approach to live life on the terms of the yet to be known out of regard for the other.
0: Yeah. It's- That's great. And that's a that's a really great line probably to end on. I don't want to make you talk to me forever, um, but uh, I could probably do it
1: again sometime, though.
0: That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be really great. I would say the best time would be uh, after I've read your book on the uh, what did you call it again? The Metaphysics of Childhood.
1: Well, I have I'm writing that one now,
0: Okay. (laughs) or we could talk to talk about it in advance. Uh, of it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, well, why don't you, you could read Little Manual for Knowing. Uh, I'd love for you to read Loving to Know, but you said what you did about books and, and, but you have read Longing to Know and, and that's, you know, kudos to you. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, Little Manual would be, you could consider it an entree to Loving to Know. Okay. So, Little Manual could be your next step. Sure. And also, Little manual is shareable. So if you wanted to read it with some other, some friends. Okay. You know, if, if what little manual is, is a how-to for knowing ventures in any field. Hmm. And that's either individual or, or group design teams, those sorts of things. It's, it's, an, it's a, a freshman orientation book. It's a business seminar book. It's an athletic training book. Uh, you know and so there's a scads of questions at the end of each chapter to lead you or your team through your knowing venture Mm. so so you might look at that and and that might be you might find that shareable you get a little bit more of the sense of what I mean by covenant epistemology which is kind of it's implicit in longing to know but it gets developed loving to know
0: well, I will read it. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I wish, I wish that they were on, uh, that all your books were on audio books because that is how I've, I like reading has come alive Little in a big way.
2: Little manual is audio.
0: Little manual is okay. Read by me. <laughs> okay, I, that, that's great to know. Is it on Audible? Yeah. Sorry, this is this is totally okay. I did not realize that. I definitely looked for this one, and I've looked for Pelani in there too because I really want. I, I feel yeah. quite sure that it would be tough for me to get through Michael Polanyi because uh, I've heard about him through you and I've listened to him do some a couple lectures on YouTube, actually some some uh, lectures that are there. And man, it's like this is so great, but he just is like, you know, I need to listen to it multiple times. Uh, so uh anyway this is good. Okay so I will definitely probably download that audiobook uh right after I'm off here and uh, yeah it would be great to talk again sometime. I I feel like you know I I feel a, a kinship or a friendship with you even though we've never met. So um thank you so much for 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 being on here.
1: Oh you're so welcome and greetings to all who have who've been in that conversation this conversation with us too. So thanks.
2: Thank you.